Stop! Sure you want the rest of it? Dirty Harry Miller Dirty Harry Welcome back to Dirty Harry Minute, a podcast reviewing every moment of Dirty Harry Windsor of Great Britain and Northern Ireland and his rookie partner, Megan Merkel. I'm one of your hosts, John, and I'm joined today with usual co-host, Tim. Hello. How are you, Tim? Good. We're finally at the last. The last few minutes of Dirty Harry? Yes. And uh, congratulations to you, John. Oh, thank you very much. You've been the mainstay. Yeah. I'll be so glad when this is finished. (laughs) Um, We are joined by past guest, one part of the Spit and Polish podcast, Bartek. Hello, everyone. Hello, listening people. Now, did you know you were going to be on a podcast talking about the king and queen or the future king and queen of England, maybe? You know, I think last year, year and a half ago, I was playing uh, Celebrity Heads with my family and they gave me one of the royal family, and because I don't know anything about the royal family, they told me I was living under a rock. So, you've picked a very unfortunate guest. <laughs> Sergeant Rock. Well, thanks for joining us again, Bartek, and you have a friend with you. Do, would you like to introduce Will? Sure. Everyone, meet Will. Hi, Will. Hi, Will. Hello, everyone. I'm William. Oh, sorry, I had the mic too close. Hello, everyone. I'm William. How are you all doing today? So we're talking about your brother today, if you're William. Oh, you're yeah, William yeah, yeah. William yeah. of Windsor. The less sexy one. He's taller, but he's got no hair. It's very nice to say to someone you just met. <laughs> the one who had Prince Charles for the dad, not, not <laughs> Captain James Hewitt. Sorry. I don't know what that means, but I'm laughing. <laughs> and uh, our usual co-host, Trent. Hello, Hello Trent. There. How are you doing? Very good. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. We're winding up. You hate this movie now, don't you? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Only another four to go. <laughs> and we are very, very pleased to be joined all the way from the northeastern seaboard of America. One part of the wonderful Spinal Tap Minute, we have Sean German. Hello, Sean. Oh, hello. Hello. Thank you very much for having me on the, uh, on the show. You're welcome. Are you a big Dirty Harry fan, Sean? Um, I, I admit I'm not a, a huge Dirty Harry fan. Um, I've seen the film. I enjoy the film. But it's, um, well, I, I, I'm becoming a fan. This is one of those movies uh, that I originally saw before this movie by minutes uh, format came about. And now rewatching it with this in mind and, and looking at it at this level of detail and, and listening along with the podcast has kind of given me a, a new new appreciation. So, uh, um that's kind of a long way of saying yes. I'm a, I'm a huge Dirty Harry fan. <laughs> <laughs> Are you a big fan of uh, of Prince Harry? Uh, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Wrong answer. <laughs> well, thanks all for joining us today. We are reviewing minute ninety eight. The minute begins with Harry picking out his silver police badge from its black mounting, and ends on a rolling credit of Sid Kleinman. Played by Morris S. Argent. What did you think of this minute, Bartek? It was a very poignant last minute. I it's the first time I think I've been on the this podcast where I've been talking about a minute, or I will be talking about a minute. It doesn't have any dialogue, um, but within the context of the whole film, it it matches where it was leading up to. I think. Will, do you think it's really a bit gimmicky? The specific insert of the badge. Like, do we really need that? Isn't it? No, nah, no, nah, I like the whole. He whips out his um. I'm not sure what you would call that device. Sort of your, your police wallet, and pulls out the the golden police star, and you know hurls it. I I don't think it's gimmicky that the star comes out. Do you think Tim the the badge looks like it's going to hurt uh, Eastwood's fingers? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sean, do you think it looks realistic? This badge does it look like a a toy badge you'd find in a cereal box, Sean? 
Uh, yeah, no, I, I buy it. I, I think it looks real. I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen too many, uh, badges up close. Fortunately, not too many run-ins with the law, but, uh, yeah, I, I kind of like, I, I think the badge looks real. It's got a nice look to it. And I like this kind of, the way this caps off, um, the journey we've been on with, with, with Harry. Um, so yeah, I like, I like this moment. John, I think my first thought was, oh, that, that could be a fake badge, but mm. then, but then, like Sean said, like, what does a real badge look like? So, you know. A fake badge has to be based on a real badge. <laughs> well, Sean, is it a real thing you get these badges in cereal boxes and police paraphernalia stuff? Is that just in movies and The Simpsons? Um, well, no, the, you know, this, this being America, I think we're more likely to have the, uh, the 44 Magnum in a, in a cereal <laughs> box. Um, you know, get Junior start off early with his, uh, with his firearms. <laughs> <laughs> we we got imitation magnums. We got imitation magnums in our show bags, like our like the Melbourne show did a police academy show bag, and that came. I don't mm-hmm. think it came with the badge, did it, Trent? I can't remember. Yeah, definitely uh, a magnum in a. The Dick Tracy one did that had the <laughs> superior hat and um, pistol. When I think of like toy badges, it's usually with um, like isn't it like a sheriff? Yeah. Type? type and it just looks very childish in a way. <laughs> maybe it's maybe it's the star shape because the badge in this film is sort of star shaped as well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, well and I wonder if there's cause this is you know, he's got a little wallet with his his identification with the badge. Are there different types of badges? Is there a different badge that's meant to be, you know, worn on the lapel or pinned to your jacket versus the badge that you you keep in your pocket? Also, this this badge has seven. It's a star shape, but it's got seven points. Yeah, that's which a I good think point. is unusual. Don't I would think if I you know without looking, I would have guessed it'd be like a six pointed star or something like that. But it is kind of a, an odd to see seven points like that. Or at least I thought it was odd. It has to be seven points, Sean, because in one of the sequels, he tells Briggs to shove it up your ass. A seven seven point suppository, he calls it. So. <laughs> so they were planning ahead. Wow. They thought ahead. Is that a stunt hand, Will? Is that Clint Eastwood's hand? It looks a bit hairy. Oh, it does look a bit hairy, but I, I want to believe it's really him, but maybe it was maybe the badge was just that sharp that you had to bring in the stunt man. Those edges look sharp, all seven of them. It could be uh, Clyde the orangutan. It's <laughs> before every which way but loose. <laughs> If it is Clint's hand, he's very well manicured. He is. The, the nails are in very good shape for uh, you know this guy who's out on the street living this rough and tumble life of uh, of a you know police inspector. But uh, the nails are are very well uh, filed off and shaped. No, yeah. it's, it's a stunt hand. Eastwood wouldn't have those knuckle fuzz. I just looks a bit weird. You reckon his, his index finger? I reckon he would. I'm gonna put my hands in my pockets so you don't. He looks laugh like a mine. pretty hairy guy. <laughs> yeah, doesn't he? He's got a lot of top hair, hasn't he? But his his chest in movies is pretty waxed. Is really pretty. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> hilarious. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> now, famously, Clint practiced like throwing the whole morning while the camera crew was setting up. Apparently, he practiced throwing stones to get to sort of get purchase on what the badge would be. Because on the day, Seagull apparently only had one badge, which seems a bit irresponsible. A prop girl not to have, or prop boy, sorry, to only have one badge there, only one shot at it. Mm. He does throw it like those people throw the rocks. I did notice his technique was very much <laughs> like rock skipping. <laughs> like at first I was thinking, like, is he going to throw it kind of like Ninja Star style or is yeah. he just going to chuck it like a rock? But no, he did it like the rock skipping sideways kind of thing. Yeah. Do, do we think maybe, has he done this before? Is this the way Harry celebrates... You know, the end of the case, he's kind of closed things out on uh, on Scorpio here. And so, does he have like a box of badges back at home and he just reloads for the, the next one? Previous guest Glenn was saying that it's just a sissy fit. It's a tantrum all the time. And he goes back and the, he goes, sorry, boss, I threw the badge again. And he goes, why? I was feeling stuff, manly stuff. And it, it's just a sissy fit. <laughs> that really takes out the poignancy of like what this means, I guess. I'm just shocked there's no lens flare on the badge, Sean. Wouldn't you like to see a lens flare on the badge? Go, Michael Bay style when he throws it. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Everything's better with lens flare. Yeah, no doubt. Do um, Does anyone have any idea what a real police ID looks like nowadays? Like, is it just like a little card like that? Maybe. 
I thought a gun just did the talking <laughs> in America. Because I, I often think, you know how people say, oh, I always check for ID when police knock on your door. But it's like, what does that prove, really? Yeah. You know, like... Like, well, remember Samuel L. Jackson in Jumper? He's like pretending to be the IRS. He's pretending to be the NSA, and he's just using the same badger. He's got a whole shoe full box full of them. Jumper, Jumper minute coming soon. <laughs> Jump to the end on that. Jump one. to the end, exactly. <laughs> you know what? On my podcast, we recently did um, Jingle All the Way, and there is a scene in that film where Arnold Schwarzenegger is in a, a warehouse where fake Santas are. You know, making counterfeit toys, and the police raid it as like a joke of like this is a black market thing. And at one point, when the police come in, he picks up a toy badge and pretends that he's a police officer, and he completely fools them. So maybe that le- lends some credence to the theory that maybe this badge isn't so legit. <laughs> and I and I believe the the toy badge was the kind that has this like wallet thing going on. What do we learn from what we can see on that? Badge, uh, sorry, the ID. There's not much there. Well, he's not centered in the photo. I notice now. Yeah, it's got the seven oh, he's, star. He's too cool to be centered in the. It's got the seven point star in the background. Oh, it does. Sean, are you looking on Blu-ray? Sean, we can. Quite often, his name is misspelled. Sometimes with two L's. Sometimes with one L. The Callahan. Um, what does it say? I think it's got two L's here, Callahan. But in the script, it's just with one. These are the big issues, Sean. These are the big issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm having I, I'm having trouble making out the name because it's behind a sh- at least the the particular frame I have. It's it's behind a shadow from his hand. Yeah. So I can see Harry, but I can't see the last name. Although I do, I did find it interesting. Uh, so it's got the number the two two one one, but it doesn't say badge number. No. It says star number. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Yeah, it's 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 definitely not badge. It's some four letter word. It's um I don't have it on Blu-ray. I have a, a DVD copy, so I don't have the full high def experience. But I, it looks like it says star number. Did you say high def or high death experience? <laughs> <laughs> the badge has the number two two one one. In previous minutes, we discussed the. Th- the imagery of, you know, Scorpio is Harry's doppelganger. He's double-sided. Now he's killed him, so he has to get rid of the badge symbolically because he's got rid of his enemy, blah, blah, blah. Do you like those sort of theories, Sean? Or are they th- overthinking it? No, I I don't think you're overthinking at all. I, I love those theories. I think, um, yeah, and, and, and especially because I'm sure that the the filmmakers thought nothing of it. They maybe just, you know, picked a number at random and it doesn't mean anything, but we can bring meaning to it as as an audience. Um, and that's, you know, that's what really counts, what we think. I also like, obviously, the symbolism. He's throwing away his badge into the same tainted water that he's dispatched Scorpio into, these two worthless items. Both the horrible maniac killer is now dead, this piece of shit, and the badge that's equally just as meaningless doesn't, yeah. You know, you can buy replicas of that exact badge wallet and that for 150 bucks. Wow. The photo's a little bit different that on there. It seems a bit much. But there's, there is a variety of them on there. You could probably get some cheap shit ones with... Yeah, anyway. I mean, if you're going to throw the badge into a lake, you probably don't want the $125 oh, one. That's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 2211... Is 22nd of November in the Scorpio range, or is that entering Sagittarius? <laughs> That's a good question. Because that, that, that would fit John's point of entering the same water as Scorpio. Because <laughs> I, th- I think it's, it's just the outside the range, because it ends on the 20th, right? Uh, just looking it up. You're asking the wrong Dr. Jones. I mean, <laughs> to the 22nd of November. Oh, to the 22nd of November. Well, there you go. Ah. Are, you, are you a Sagittarius? Are you a Scorpio, Sean? No, but I did date. I did date a Scorpio in in high school, and uh, it's yeah. <laughs> At least in my experience, Scorpios are um, are interesting characters, very strong willed, which I think is appropriate for for Harry here as well. Um, but that would be right on the cusp. Like that's the very last day. You're right on the line at the end of Scorpio, uh, November twenty second. So there you go. He's conflicted. 
even in his own range of um of designation, he's you know not a classic Scorpio. Maybe he thinks that he himself is a Scorpio. I mean, that's that's definitely got to be... If that's like one of the last days of Scorpio and he throws it into the same <laughs> river that dead Scorpio is in. Beautiful. <laughs> Harry knows his that's star signs. That's got to be intentional. That's a really nice touch. Trent, Trent, have you ever thrown anything away symbolically? Like your last day of work, here's a pen, I'll throw it in or something? Uh, or- I, I've definitely thrown things out of frustration, but I don't know if I... Usually it's yeah. with regret afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> throw it. I was putting up some blinds a couple of weeks ago and one of them kept falling down. I threw it like a javelin into a bookshelf. Does that help? <laughs> what about you, Sean? Anything come anything come to mind that you've just thrown away in haste? No, but now I really want to. <laughs> now I need to I, I need to kill someone and dump the body in a body of water and then I don't know, maybe I can throw a laptop or my phone or something. Um, or no, a microphone. Being a podcaster, I can throw my microphone away. Exactly. Be a symbolic rebirth. There you go. Yep. To, to end this episode, let's all throw something. <laughs> <laughs> Do we know what the first day of shooting was? What scene? Just out of curiosity. We know they did most things in continuity. Um, so it could very well have been the rooftop... Sniping scene with uh, Andy Robinson, I'm not sure. The, the reason I ask is it's coincidental that his ID photo matches up with <laughs> pretty much <Yeah>. it. <laughs> that was an That's issue right. 10 years ago. It's, um, yeah. <laughs> in a nod to this, maybe later in The Rookie with Clint and uh, Charlie Sheen, uh, Charlie Sheen's really angry. He's lost his badge at the bike when he gets in the fight at the biker hangout. And he goes, what am I to do? Got, you know, I lost my badge. And Clint goes, well, fill a report and get another one, asshole. So uh, maybe badges aren't that important. The, um, the photo is a bit off-center. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> it's an action shot, not a, not a profile. Also, I, um, I looked up, I googled the San Francisco badges, and um, it's not by department, it's by... Um, ranking or class so it's inspector sf police but they've got other ones that say captain yes or, um, we heard that inspector is a very british sounding uh, rank but apparently it's in northern california or the bay area it's a it's a common rank well i'm seeing lieutenant captain sergeant and then there's just san francisco police that must be for chico <laughs> he doesn't have a ranking yet. <laughs> well, Police Academy clearly wasn't set in California because there's no inspectors in that from memory. <laughs> you know, this bad, looking at the photos on uh, Tim's iPad, it looks fairly accurate, actually. Yeah. Will? Yes? Basic question, why does Harry throw the badge away? Is it because he just realises the only way he could stop Scorpio was to just ignore everything the badge and its authorities were telling? Is it? Yeah, I think it was. He just, in order to defeat the villain, in order to defeat Scorpio, he had to go outside of the law, outside of what the mayor wanted. And he's just, I think he's a bit disgusted at the law in that moment. He's just, he's had enough. He's like, I want it out of my life. Didn't we already establish, didn't we already establish the answer? He, he realised his... Badge number was Scorpio. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> I, w- I will say, uh, this was my third time watching the film, and in that first scene where he's talking to the mayor, that whole notion of putting the law behind him was really, really emphasised for me there. Like, just nothing was going his way. He was getting interrupted. It felt like you need to give this guy his way because he knows what he's talking about. If nothing else, it's just we've got an actor here, Will Chekhov's gun, because he's he said like two or three times, "Do you want my star?" And if the mayor wants my badge, he can have it. So he has to the badge. Something happened to the badge. Yeah, it ha- it has come up a lot. So gotta do something with it. But then he also said it'll blow your head clean off, and he's never shot any of his criminals in the head. So, so maybe- tease. <laughs> mm. Maybe if we were to force an alternative reading, he's throwing his badge somewhere where no one can reach it. It's like, can't fire me if you don't take my badge. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I I do think that there is, you know, there's a lot that leads up to this moment that this, for me at least, it doesn't feel like this is a snap decision. He's been 
drifting away from the department, away from the law, away from the police in general, and, and to a certain extent, society as a whole. He's been kind of drifting and it's been building, and now he's just done with it. There's a moment, though, where Clint, sorry, Harry, looks to the left. Is, it, is he look, just making sure no one sees him throw it? Or oh, maybe that was in the minute beforehand. Yeah. Well, what, is he... Is he maybe looking for the the kid that he almost shot? The, the kid that Scorpio had? I thought the kid ran to like, the Like, hey, rides. where'd that kid go off to, you know? Or maybe he's wondering, okay, how am I going to get home? <laughs> is that, you know, is that bus still around? <laughs> maybe he's looking for a ride. Yeah, well, I mean, it would be a lot more powerful if you had Harry walking in the direct, or maybe he is walking in the direction back to see if the kids in the bus are Okay. But yeah, earlier on in the minute, we just I've seen it now. He looks to the left. Is is he worried that someone's going to see him throw away his badge? Does he have? <laughs> well, I wonder why he looks that way, Bartek. Or is it just acting? Mm, I can't imagine he'd be worried about anything in this moment. So it is curious. It almost feels like the next shot should be like what he's looking at in a way, or maybe. Maybe the maybe the film just doesn't really want us to know like his exact thoughts at that moment. So I, I was leading into saying you know maybe it was up for interpretation, but I, I I don't know. It's a good question. Maybe he's thinking ahead. Like, what do I do after I throw the badge? I guess I'll walk left because he he does walk left. Though from our perspective, it's right. That's how perspectives work. It's probably just me, but I think Clint looks really fucking hot. Um, in this, what way? <laughs> in the bit where he looks to the left and then he's like, I don't know, it's... You like his profile of his head? Don't tell my wife, but when he's sort of, um, he's resigned to throwing it, looking up, but pause, when he piffs it, yeah. Yeah, I like how the left part of his cheek kind of goes in. <laughs> <laughs> A precursor to his skeletal days. <laughs> For the record, listening people, we, we've got to pause on that exact moment. <laughs> now, now, Sean, Clint originally thought that it was a bit, it was a, a bridge too far for his Harry to quit. He wanted a compromise where he was, these shots we're seeing now, he was thinking about it, but in the end, he put it away. And Don Siegel had to work apparently really hard to convince him no, you've had it. You, you want to get out of the police force. And Clint originally said, well, you know. Clint got his own back by making five sequels or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, clearly, he, he didn't, it wasn't a long term decision. He finally came to the realization if they're going to ask for my badge, they're going to have to fish for it. They should have um, just made this in Magnum Force. You know how, like, some sequels just continue on straight from the first film, and you see what happened after when he got back to the police station. So, like, the beginning of Magnaforce would be him, like, waving into the bus being like, you are all right, everyone? (laughs) And they're all dead. (laughs) (laughs) That's morbid, Tim. Now, I haven't... I've I've seen this film before. I have not seen any of the sequels. Is he back on the force? Is he he police again in the the sequel? Yeah, in the next sequel, Magnaforce, he's still... He's been demoted. He's on stakeout. And his new... His new enemy in the department, Lieutenant Briggs, reluctantly... Well, I won't give away the plot, but has to call him back from stakeout where he's been demoted. So... Sean, you should watch the second one at least. They get progressively worse from there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I haven't really tested everyone's machete order, but for me it's pretty much one, two, four, three, five, with the Deadpool being the shittest. I'd go one, three, two, four, five. You prefer Enforcer to yeah, Magnum? Yeah, really? I, I much prefer Enforcer. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. No Lalo music in that. No. <laughs> but then Lalo comes back with the synthesizers yeah. and the drum machines in the, in the for the 80s and what's the sudden impact? Yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that. <laughs> so, so Will and I also haven't seen any of the sequels. Would you say that like the worst one in your opinion is straight up bad or just not as good? Uh... 
like I wouldn't rewatch it. No real interest to rewatch it. I mean, it's right. sort of typical late eighties. It doesn't feel any different to. It's almost movie rate. of the week. Which one was your last one? Uh, De- the Deadpool. Deadpool. Really? And the villain? You can't even remember the villain. No. I put I put sudden impact last, which is the fourth one. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty shit as well. Yeah, it's just it's it's more like a film that's not Dirty Harry, and they've just yeah. sort of crowbarred. Did he he sort of cameos into- in his yeah. own his own movie. Oh, okay. Even plenty of the other oh. films he made at that time feel more like a dirty yeah, Harry like tightrope than- we've discussed. Tightropes. Yeah. yeah. Now, Sean, did Spinal Tap ever receive a novelization? The movie would <laughs> <laughs> be quite hard, wouldn't it? <laughs> Impossible, actually. Yeah. There was not a novelization of uh, of this is Spinal Tap, but um, I'm very curious to read if there was one. I'd love to read it. Well, I've got a quote here from the novelization about... It's on the last page. Uh, Apologies, Sean, for my American accent. It was over and he hadn't done a thing right. Scorpio now lay dead in a ditch, but he had placed a dozen innocent lives in jeopardy. The DA Rothko would have a field day with this report. Harry slipped his magnum into its holster. If he was smart... He would toss the gun into the water and his badge right after it. Harry sat down in the tall grass, feeling suddenly weary. The end. Do you you prefer that version, Will, as an actor? Or is Clint capable of doing weary? Uh, I think he could do weary. I think he could do weary. Do you like the notion of some third person narrating, judging... Clint Eastwood being like, if he was smart. If he's just going to say that out loud, if I was smart, I would run the gun away. No, not Clint Eastwood, some third person voice. The kid, the kid who was just (laughs) held hostage. If you were smart, mister, you would throw that gun away and your badge too. So no, I'm going to sit down. I'm I'm weary. (laughs) I can't do Clint Eastwood. I can't even get close. Sean? Yes. Yes, Jeff. You can't see me, but I'm I'm a short ass. I've been told I've been told that tall people have difficulty sitting down, like cross-legged. I'm assuming that's how Harry would have sat down. Can you imagine Clint Eastwood sort of sitting down, just going, looking weary, and then the camera zooming out? <laughs> um, no, I don't know if that. I mean, I can imagine what that would look like, but I don't. I don't know if I like that. I mean, because then, well, then do we have him like he he takes his shoes off and rolls up his pants and. <laughs> and you know, takes you know, wades into the water. Do we want that? And like John McClane in Die Hard, he's sort of like clenching his his feet, you know, getting ready. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now, actually, to, you know, talking about um, you know that passage you read in endings, I wonder. I I was thinking about a different ending with a little bit of ambiguity. If they show him, you know, f- f- holding the the badge in his hand or the star after taking it out of the wallet. And then just cut to him walking away and don't show him actually throw it and kind of leave that a little ambiguity there. I thought that that might might have been an interesting ending if they chose to go that way. That would have been really good. What do you guys think? I reckon that. Yeah. Once again, it all comes down to whether Clint could pull that off. And maybe he can do maybe he can do weary and I don't know if he can do conflicted. He just looks so damn decisive, whatever he does, Spartak. No, I think I think the film does it fine with the whole ambiguity thing, and it's it's illustrated further, emphasised I should say, um, with what we see next, which is where the camera he's walking away, and the camera's you know far from him and moving away from him as well. Yeah, it's wonderful. You zoom out and you see how modernity the city is encroaching. It's not far off. The old the old west is gone. And like a lot of classic noir movies, this is how they end, you know, in an industrial location. Um, but now, cheap fuel, op- you know, the oil embargo hasn't happened yet. You have a helicopter zoom out shot to um, add to the classic noir ending. Are we sure Scorpio's dead? Is he? He's not floating in the water going, ah, help me, help me. <laughs> Did you not hear the novelization? Pick up. <laughs> Remember in the novelization, he's just in an irrigation ditch. That's how it's described, not a pond, an irrigation ditch. There was also grass that Harry could reasonably sit in in the novel. <laughs> that, that's interesting you just raised the oil crisis. Because when was that? 73? Yeah. 
It'd be interesting to look at Hollywood films that came out after then for a certain number of years to see if the number of uh, helicopter shots <laughs> turned into cherry picker shots. Not taking yeah, the piss, maybe. but did it, did it have that sort of impact? Yeah. Anyway. Sean, going back to, so you'd like to see a bit more, how did you describe it at the end? A bit more ambiguity as to what Clint, what Harry really felt? Mm-hmm. Are you basically saying a lot of our guests are saying Harry doesn't isn't successful as a modern hero because he doesn't have any character development. He's all pretty much always known his his superiors are assholes, and he's always rolling his eyes at them. The only character development he really has is now at the end when he goes, "I'm not doing this anymore." But we know he comes back for the sequels. So, is it a problem that Harry doesn't? He's just he doesn't have any development his character in this movie. Or do you think he does develop, uh, Sean? Wow. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot in that question. I, I kind of lean towards there's there's not much development. Um, you know, there isn't a real character arc. He's kind of, you know, he's he's jaded and has um, um, n- not not no respect for for the rules, but he. He comes in having the reputation. They they say, hey, you know, he's Dirty Harry. He hates everyone equally. Um, you know, he kind of plays by his own rules and his own code of, uh, you know, code of ethics and his version of the law. And, you know, that's from the beginning. And then we see it right through to the end. Um, but I don't think that's um, there's there's a lot of movies like like that and a lot of great movies that that show you a character and introduce you to someone and show, you know, invite you into um, their world, Harry's world, in this case, um, without you know, without necessarily an, an arc or a lot of change in the character. Um, yeah, you're actually touching on something that I wanted to say. Um, if you want to argue that he doesn't have like character development or a character arc, I might agree with you, but I would emphasize that he definitely has a lot of characterization because in this film, I was saying this to Will on the way to this recording. Um, you don't learn his full story, uh, by watching this film. No, you have to listen to this podcast. (laughs) You have to listen (laughs) to John, Tim and Trent on Dirty Harry Minute. Um, but you do see a lot of snippets of his life throughout the film. Like you see that he's a film, he's familiar at this diner. You see how he is at different types of jobs, like whether he's investigating or, or helping a suicide jumper. Um, it really is like the Star Wars theory of a used universe. Yeah, yeah. I think that's pretty successful on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he starts off like being uncaring towards Chico, but warms up to him. Uh, when he actually has a conversation with a woman, Chico's uh, lover, he talks about his wife. You know, you learn about him through watching him working on this one random case that has nothing to do with his past. But is that good enough, Will? Like characterization yes little dots on the way but no development is that a stumbling block for modern audiences um i don't think so necessarily it's um not every character has to change some can be static and stay the same i i mean i greatly enjoyed the film i greatly enjoyed harry's characterization um yeah i i don't think it's actually like um like a hard rule it's like all these characters that have to change in some way even if most do and most stories do need a character, you know, to change. But I don't think absolutely everyone does. I get a feeling we expect it more of villains, maybe Tim. Well, I think I think I think this part with him throwing the badge is significant in the way that he he doesn't really develop much, you know, over the arc of the film. But he, um, I guess it's it's ramming home the point that he thinks the law doesn't really give justice. In the way he wants to dish it out. I've got a nice quote here, guys. And this is from the New York Times Review. A large number of Siegel films end with a crane shot that pulls back into a rising perspective that, if not quite cosmic, imposes a much wider context on the story we have just seen. In Dirty Harry, the slow magisterial withdrawal from the details of the quarry carry an eerie philosophic detachment. Isn't that well written, Tim? I wasn't really listening. (laughs) 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 Well, Sean, 
it's such a staple now, these zoom-out shots in action movies that have come down through the years, that now you see it, you sort of roll your eyes a bit. But maybe this was one of the first sort of times it happened. Do you, do you still get bored by these zoom-outs in cop movies, Sean? No, no. I think um, I certainly like, like the way it's used in this case. I think it's a nice ending, uh, particularly... Um, well, yeah, I'll just say that I, I do like the ending, and I think it um, it kind of... There's like a, a, a pause between kind of just seeing Harry alone in the landscape before the, the credits start rolling to really end things for us. But no, I like... And it, to, it gives... I always get you know perspective to see he's one man and he's small when you compare him to... The larger world, you know, when we're up close, when, you know, the, the, for the bulk of this minute, we're, we're very close. And I can, I can imagine I've, I didn't see this film in the, in the theater. I've only watched it at home on, on television, but I can imagine in the theater where it's, you know, Clint's head, Harry's head takes up the whole screen. Yeah. Um, it's, it, we see a little bit of his collar and his neck, but it's basically just from the neck up. So his head would be huge if you were seeing this in a theater and you kind of see like he's here's this larger than life, this sort of super cop that that brought down this villain and he's, you know, a one man wrecking crew. And then we immediately go from that to the other extreme where he's just a little blip, you know, a little dot in the larger landscape to kind of like put things in perspective that no, you know, as as rough and, and tough as this guy is, he's still just one man in this, this larger world. So I, I like that as an ending um, when it's done well. And, and I think it's done well here to quote spinal tap though. Is it too much fucking perspective? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. T- too much perspective. <laughs> Trent is Scorpio a good bad guy in your books. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 No question about it. I mean, there's, you get the full gauntlet of emotions there and that's fun to watch, isn't it? When you, when you see them really pushing it to the, edge and and believably losing the plot not like a you know cartoon character and yeah he's passable as a cartoon character too but yeah he's great i think there's halfway through the film you sort of go this guy's really off the edge yeah (laughs) like (laughs) and and it's because he doesn't really have a motive he clearly doesn't give a rat's ass about the money that's right we've established before well to quote harry in an earlier scene he kills because he likes it yeah yeah exactly i know because i sort of like it too we forgot to mention in previous minutes, um, in the bus, mm-hmm. you know, the kid, the fat guy goes, I want my mommy, I want my mommy. It's I can just, relate. <laughs> it's just the juvenile version of, version, version of, I want a lawyer, I want a lawyer. They're both kids, basically. <laughs> oh, so you're saying they're parallels. <laughs> yeah. And so started a new Scorpio story. <laughs> so in the reboot, that character. And that child's birthday, November 22nd. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Um, John, I th- you know how in previous minutes we've had this theory that the chief was a ghost? Yeah, ghost chief. Well, yep. What if chief and mayor were both ghosts and Harry's imagining that he's got a badge and, <laughs> and a police ID and he's just been doing this as a vigilante, basically? Well, he definitely is a vigilante. <laughs> I think it would be remiss not to mention the music in this ending because yeah. we, we talked about the, the shot framing and what's going on and how it's a big trope. Uh, but I think the music also plays into the effectiveness of the ending. I believe Netflix would describe it as somber. <laughs> <laughs> Contemplative, maybe. <laughs> it's, it's just on this bit. It's just a Fender Rhodes solo, isn't it? It's not. There's no other yeah, instruments overdubbed, is there? Yeah. I actually think it might be two Fender Rhodes, like one overdubbed over the other. There's a great YouTube clip of someone just playing it. it just sounds beautiful. Yeah. Mm. Well, was it specifically written for this film or was it a general thing? Yeah, Lalo Schifrin wrote the whole score. Except for that jazzy song, you gotta roll with it. He got his wife to do the lyrics. Where's that? In the, the titty bar, the titty bar scene. Wow. Oh. I wasn't paying attention to the music. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Me neither, but I, I took an educated guess where the song would be. <laughs> I think the subtitles might have said there was some music, but um, yeah. Somber. My senses were elsewhere. Sean, do you... Do you like Scorpio? A lot of people, the trend is now, you know, you need to know the origin story of why he's fucked up. Oh, Lord, no. No? Yeah, Good. no, I, 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 I don't. 
I, I like, yeah, no, I like Scorpio as the, you know, as the villain, as the uh, the antagonist, as the foil or the, you know, the the uh, the opponent for Harry. But yeah, I, I don't want any backstory. I don't want to know where he comes from. I think it's much better with with the mystery. Um, and I also like it's it's a little I thought this was a particularly realistic film that um, obviously the Scorpio Scorpio is able to kind of come up with plans and and do his, you know, commit his crimes. But then when he's faced with the police, um, he hasn't anticipated everything they might do. And he's not uh, one step ahead of them the whole way. He, you know, he doesn't have sometimes villains are. You know, are too good. They seem to know too much. They've planned too far ahead, and that can, um, you know, some if it's not done well, that can kind of take me out of of the fantasy of the film. I think Scorpio strikes a, a nice balance that he's not he's not overly prepared um, or, or overly intelligent, but he he is able to make some plans and get away with some crime. So he is he's not incompetent, but uh, yeah, no, I, I like him in general as. You know, as a villain, and I don't want. You know, I thought of, um, and I was actually, um, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I want to uh, assure the listeners that I was not tipped off. I don't get these questions ahead of time, but I was thinking earlier, <laughs> earlier today, and and I thought of the, the Halloween remake by Rob Zombie, which has got all kinds of 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 backstory there, and and um, that's why I don't like that movie. The, you know, the original Halloween, there's just this killer out. We really don't know about his upbringing, where he came from. I think if they if they did a similar remake of this that starts with kind of showing, you know, young Scorpio as a child getting bullied or, you know, getting rejected, trying to ask a girl to dance or something. And that's why he grows up to to be this horrible person. I don't I don't want to know that. I just we just know he's a bad man. He's out there. He's killing people. And only Harry can stop him. That's the way I like it. Um, another podcast was talking about, yeah, the the trend, modern trend of having to the backstory, and they said, no, 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 it's like the Florida man in America, where you see all the things Florida people do, like crazy stuff. You don't need to, you don't need to care about their motivations. It's just clickbait. What happened? But then I was thinking, I guess so, but maybe it's a bit more like those old Darwin Awards where you hear about the lead up to why they made their stupid decision to put their dick into a power socket or whatever, you know, and you want to know why they're, they're the logic behind it. So it's funny you mentioned that. I watched the uh, Joker the other day and um, he, he was great, but then I kind of thought like it's a bit unnecessary, the whole just showing his backstory. I guess I just preferred Joker to just be a maniac. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Imagine that was a standalone film and it wasn't about that character connected with it. It'd probably be brilliant. Yeah. I haven't seen it. <laughs> you know, not to say it's not Just brilliant. unrelated to Batman completely. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Trent, what's your, what's your... What do you think as a 35-year-old about these old 70s end credits where they're just, whoop, goodbye, um, and they're all front-loaded at the start? Yeah. It, uh, I guess we grew up in a time when the, you know, the, the end credits are top-heavy. Yeah. Or end heavy, whichever way you like to look at it. It's interesting. It's actually a bit haunting in one respect because, uh, yeah, there's a lot missing. And what about this person? Surely there was a carpenter who did this who should have been credited. Or what about uh, where's that the best character? boy? Yeah, where's the best boy? Scorpio was the best boy. Um, the abrupt ending to the uh, you know the ending of the credits, the ending of the story is it's a bit woo. That's it. Ooh, do, oh. we, do we want to say that for the next episode? Yeah, that's a good idea. How much can we talk about <laughs> in the last 17 seconds? <laughs> yeah. But, it, I mean, it, yeah, it doesn't really give you reflection time to think, what have I just seen? What are the implications of this movie? It doesn't give you reflection time? No, we'll just do 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 What do you think? Goodbye. They need a post credit sequence. That's <laughs> Dead kids in the bus. This podcast <laughs> is that. I, don't know, I think the last 90 seconds of the entire film gives you reflection time. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it? It's pretty big moral so. issues yeah. this movie brings up. You're a teacher, Bartek, aren't you? You're a teacher? I haven't started yet, but I have the degree. Do you think this would be a good teacher's aid? Like the big themes of uh, how about Miranda rights, you know, if you know some, yeah, those sort of things. Do you reckon you could teach this as a teachable film in class? Uh, probably not in Australia because it's rated a bit high, but I think my younger brother has literally done a media class where they've shown him Dirty Harry. This um, one? This wow. one. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, the last not two minutes of this film, you know, it stops with dialogue. It has, you know, slow development of, you know, guy throws something and walks away over two minutes. It gives you plenty of time for contemplation. And the music isn't like, you know, you know, a lot of beats per minute or anything like that. It, it, it's slow, it's somber, as Tim said. I would have said melancholic, because I'm <laughs> pretentious. Um, but, yeah, plenty of reflection time, and I think that's something valuable in a film, because those last two minutes could have all just been credits on a black screen, right? So, guys, do you reckon the, cha- the general change to the structure of credits in movies kind of changed the way they are structured? Like, um, you know, the start the start is um, the bit where the credits are rolling. You know, there's a big sequence with no dialogue. And here, and since there's not going to be a, you know, a big credit sequence afterwards, like Bartek said, this last scene is very, you know, slow and contemplative. Do you think, do you, do you think maybe like working within the limitations of how they had to do the credits maybe affected how they structured the scripts and things? Well, quite possibly. I guess the, uh, the opening, as they were, you know, they were more heavy. Uh, kind of got you settled in more, whereas now, you know, you rarely see opening credits in, in a Hollywood film. It's usually just the studio logo and the vroom, you're straight into it. Um, it's like no one wants to... Oh, no, we'll lose them. If, if we've got credits, yeah. Jesus. You also don't have to decide, like, what two songs from the time do we have to play over the black screen with words going over this for like five Nickelback minutes? This Nickelback song or that Nickelback song? <laughs> Tim, do you think the quarry workers would get the day off after this incident or...? Oh, but there's only one. We've only seen one of them. Hey, you can't go in there. Um, psychology counselling, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks, back to work. And he's, he probably passed all the dead kids on the bus as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. In a modern movie, as he's walking away, do you think you'd see, like, quarry workers running into the bottom of the frame to see what's happened or... If the climax was in the city itself, for sure it would be weird if there was no one around. But, like, from the, you know, of the panning shot where we see the environment, like, the closest people are on, like, the highway in cars. It's not isolated of people, but they're pretty far away. Just coming back to the point about whether there's enough time to contemplate, I think that, I mean, now that I think about it, the throwing the badge thing actually gives this a bit more impact. Um, Because imagine... You don't have this part where he's, you know, looking at the value of that badge, and he, he, he shoots Scorpio yeah. and just walks away, and it just ends like that. Yeah. It would kind of feel like an empty ending in a in a way. Exactly, Tim agrees with me. <laughs> <laughs> Key point. Yeah. Well, it's true. The movie started with the memorial to dead cops, and it sort of had the badge at the start. So I guess it's a nice bookend. Do you think those cops on the in memoriam? sort of respect Harry's methods as well? Do you reckon they'd be uh, insulted to be lumped in with a maybe a right wing? I, I, I was having a little bit of a giggle on the way here because Will and I were talking about that. It's funny that this film, the way that we've interpreted it is that, like, you know, you have to work outside of the law to bring about justice, yet here are people that are being honoured for presumably working within the means of the law. But but at least it, it that clearly shows that the film respects the law in some ways, even though it says that the methods of the law can't be perfect, I guess. Sean, how do you like your cinema cops? Do you like them on the edge, like Mel Gibson with a gun in his throat at the start of the movie? Or do you like James <laughs> Woods in The Hard Way? Who, what, who do you like? James Woods in The Hard Way. <laughs> who do you like? I like James Woods in Cop, a thriller. I think it's... Yeah, I, well, for this is not the way I want my my police officers in the real world, but in the movies, in in the fantasy land, it is interesting to see that dichotomy and that struggle to see someone who is, um, just, they've dedicated their lives to enforcing the law, and then you see them put in situations where they need to stretch the rules a little bit or even break some of the rules sometimes in order to, you know, breaking the law to enforce the law, preserve the law. That's there's a contradiction there. There's a struggle. And again, I I don't necessarily want to see the police in real life, um, you know, working outside outside the lines the way Harry does. But but for a film, it, it makes for good entertainment and thoughtful entertainment. Sean, I think you're trying to say that you like <laughs> your type of cop is <laughs> Robocop. <laughs> <laughs> 
I myself prefer Maniac Cop. Maniac <laughs> Cop. No love for End of Watch? End of Watch? What's that? End of Watch is a Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pena film oh. from, uh, like, middle of the 2010s. Um, it's it's sort of found footagey. They're, like, very ah. modern police officers with, like, this is around the time police officers now are wearing, like, cameras on themselves. Yes. And one of them's, like, doing a, like education not education like university project where like he's filming himself at work and it's basically following them on like their shifts and it's like they're back and forth but also when they go into work they're shifting into work mode so it's very much a lot more realistic but there's also like a you know a deep plot that goes on a bit of a conspiracy um and i i love that film so it's those two would not work for dirty harry obviously um but, you know, if the cops fit the tone of the film, you know, that's that's fine with me. But I think my favourite cops would be End of Watch. My favourite cops are the ones in The Case of the Smiling Stiffs. I don't know if anyone's ever seen that. Sean S. Cunningham. <laughs> I magic. got that as a birthday present for a friend a few years ago. <laughs> Highest grossing R-rated film released in Australia for many, many years. Isn't that a film where, like... A, a werewolf is killed by a silver penis or something? Silver, silver cock. Silver uh, that's cock. the character's name. Silver cock. <laughs> right, right. Played by the late, great Harry Reams. Um, it predates Jaws with a, a fin, shall we call it, uh, prodding out of the water <laughs> and moving along. You know what? Originally, I was going to have a, a different friend of mine on, and that was the friend that I bought Case of Smiling, Smiling Stiffs for. Tim, I finally, at the start of this podcast... The French Connection was constantly brought up, right? Yes. Because it was 1971, and a lot of people think that's the superior film. I finally watched it, as you know, and I loved it. You loved it. I thought it was a really good movie. Have you guys seen it? Obviously, Trent and Tim, have you seen The French Connection, Will? Oh, no, sorry. I haven't seen it, John. I think I I remember my family had an album from that. No, that was French Kiss. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Sean, have you seen The French Connection, the original, with Roy Scheider? And uh, Hackman, have you seen it? And Gene Hackman, you know what? I don't think I have. Whew, you were like me up until wow. recently. Yeah, we should we should probably watch it. I mean, I've heard I've heard many good things about it. Yeah, Sean, you've got you've got a, a list to watch. You've got to watch Dirty Harry two, three, four, five, <laughs> and then The French Connection. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then French Connection. Now, how many French connections are there? Are there five of those as well? <laughs> Just the two, I think. <laughs> Um, and end of watch, guys. Come on. Uh, yeah. There's only one of those. And uh, Robocop. <laughs> anyway, Tim, I loved it. Um, would you rate, uh, what's his name? Doyle. Is that his? Popeye Doyle, Popeye yeah. Popeye Doyle. Is he, is he a better cop than Harry? He's more of a brute. He's more of an arsehole than Harry. Don't you think? Man, that's that's a high bar. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> I'm impressed. Count me impressed. Bartek, they're, they're both... They're both very different movies, but in one, one through line is they're both obsessed cops, right? The driven. Woman, they're driven. They're very driven. But Popeye's way more dirty. Like, that scene at the bar, the shakedown and stuff, like, he's had a lot more a lot more Fillmore District incidents than Harry probably has. Yeah, I'd, I'd say Harry's more dedicated than obsessed, so if the other guy's as obsessed as you'd say, then... Plus, yeah, he has a, a supportive chief, a guy's like, give him a break. You know when the feds get involved? He's yeah. like, he's got good hunches and stuff. Anyway, as I always do, Sean, I've written down some similarities with Dirty Harry. Number one, number one, they both open with a murder, right? You know, the guy with the baguette in the alleyway in French Connection, Tim. Anyway, starts with a murder. Two, there's a weird out-of-the-place fishing scene. Like the bad guy's fishing when he's in Marseille oh, right. or something yeah, for yeah. no reason. Three, they both eat bad food. You've got hot dog versus the Subway toffee apple. Uh, you've got a rooftop sniper who leaves bullet casings there when the guy shoots down at, um, at Doyle. Um, both the heroes sweat more than is humanly possible. <laughs> Both end at abandoned sort of industrial works. One's a water tap thing, and this has got the quarry here. And for and the most important one is that they're never off duty. Like the whole point of the movie is when he's at the restaurant and he goes, "Those guys, those you know, those gumbos at those table, they're a whole lot of wrong." And then that actually becomes the basis for the movie. Oh yeah, Harry literally says at one point he was tailing Scorpio on his own time. <laughs> So, obviously, it's just an aside, a throwaway in Jaffe's bar or whatever. Yeah. Like, but here it actually becomes the crutch of the movie. So, true. And they both have partners. They do. They do. 
I'm sorry, did, did you say that Dirty Harry is an out-of-place fishing scene? With a kid fishing at the quarry. Okay. I didn't think it was too out of place. Just more, like, random, I suppose you mean? It was more yeah, random in yeah. French Connection, when he's waiting for his con- connection or whatever. Oh, yeah. He's yeah, just yeah. fishing. Now, John, are you going to take us through a list of um, comparisons between Dirty Harry and Mahoney from Police Academy? <laughs> well, they're both Irish They're both Irish names, Mahoney or Marnie, wherever it's pronounced in the Green Isle. And, um, what about McGarnigal? McGarnigal. McGarnigal. <laughs> oh, Yeah. So, yeah, I highly recommend checking it out, Sean. The French Connection, very good. I don't know how Popeye Doyle and Harry would uh, get on. As partners. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the Beach Boys and the Fat Boys would probably do some little rap yeah. thing or something. East Coast, West Coast cops. Well, they did unite in Unforgiven. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, so we, we got the, the Old West version of the two people together anyway. Well, I've got pages and pages more, everyone, but I might save that to the last <laughs> minute. Sean, I suppose the last big question we want to ask is, where is Harry off to right now? Do you think he really is leaving the force? Is he going to a vigil for Anne-Marie Deacon, like Dave Toshi did, the, the, the detective in the Zodiac case? Every year he'd return to the location where the taxi drive victim was killed. Where do you think Harry's off to now, literally? Like, what happens the following day? Um, well, I think, you know, in the immediate future right now, he's he's off to find something to eat. I think he's hungry at this point. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, looking for a hot, he's looking for a hot dog. And then, um, I don't know, is he coming back with a fishing net to uh, try to find his badge? And Scorpio. <laughs> I, th- I think what happens the next day is he wakes up and realizes, you know, what else does he know? He's he's a cop. It's not just his job. It's who he is. What what does he do if he's not, you know, fighting crime and, and locking up bad guys? Um, so I think maybe that's what he spends, like, you know, the, the next morning wondering, all right, what do I, you know, what do I do now? And he doesn't have an answer. And then he's got to go fish out the, uh, or I guess, well, they didn't have... Um, you know, he didn't have eBay at this time. Is there? I guess you know, maybe there's a badge store where he can get a replacement. He's heading to. Yeah, that's where he's. That's what he's doing tomorrow. He's heading to the badge store. <laughs> do you think Will? Do you think he'd ever stoop to just boring private investigation, PI type stuff? Oh, it's really hard to say. What? What would di- What would Dirty Harry do if he quit the force? Would he be clean? Think he'd, you think he'd go the complete opposite? He's going to get the most mild manner job possible. He's going to work in retail. <laughs> Traffic cop. Do you think he'd open a startup? He'd open a startup for uh, car bumper stickers, Blue Lives Matter, or um, yeah, support your local police bumper stickers, maybe? Open a cafe, he'll be a barista. <laughs> Security. John, realistically, would he, would he be in trouble? Well, yeah. Do you think he'd plead the fifth, ironically? Going to jail. Read me my rights and I'll tell you. (laughs) I'm not saying anything. Well, didn't the novelization say that the chief would have a field day with the report? The DA, yeah. The DA. After Harry wearily sits down and grass. There's no more reports. Unless you get a warrant, DA. (laughs) Well, many thanks for joining us, Sean. Do you have any any last-minute observations on this minute or the movie in general? Um, well, th- thank you very much for having me. I I did have one thing that um, well, I was going to say a, a theory I have about the movie and maybe about why why Harry has to be dirty, why he has to kind of play outside the line sometimes. Is I wonder if there's a mole, there's someone on the inside helping Scorpio out. The chief. Um, maybe the chief is not a ghost. He's a mole. <laughs> but yeah, no, this is this, this is a, a very a very interesting movie and a good movie. One I hadn't seen for for a long time. So thank you for the podcast. Uh, well, thank you for having me on, but giving me uh, you know motivation to rewatch it and and seeing it through your eyes minute by minute. Um, it's been uh, it's been fun. You're more than welcome, Sean. Where can listeners find you best? What do you like to promote the most? Um, well, if you hear here we uh, talk some more. I have a, a podcast called The Next Scene, and you can find that at nextscenepod.com, where we, um, you know, we cover 
mostly movies, but we also do uh, TV shows and music and all kinds of other things, one scene at a time. So that's at nextscenepod.com. And then uh, I've got some other podcasting stuff. You alluded to uh, Spinal Tap. I did Spinal Tap Minute. Yes. Covering that movie in a a similar format to what you're doing here. Um, But you can find more of my podcasting stuff at catandshawn.org. And that's C-A-T, Cat and Sean, S-E-A-N, dot org. And there I have linked to my other podcasts and linked to my guest appearances. So you can, uh, you know, see where I've been podcast wise. (laughs) Many thanks, Sean. I highly recommend everyone check out those uh, websites, particularly Spinal Tap Minute. I'm a big fan, Sean, and uh, I wish... Well, there are sequels of Spinal Tap. Maybe you'll you'll tackle one day. Many thanks, Sean. Tim, will you join us one day, Tim? Sure thing. <laughs> Bartek, you'll join us for the final minute? Sure, absolutely. With your acting friend, Will. Will? Oh, yes. And yes, Trent? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. Before we go, as everyone knows, I like to read out a Twilight Zone-themed review of Dirty Harry in my best Rod Serling voice. Missing. One police inspector. Name? Harry Francis Callahan. Description. Tall, intense face, Chinese eyes. Last seen leaving Frisco City Hall, shaking his head on the day the monster came. Present location, an unmapped, extradition-free corner of the Twilight Zone. We'll catch you next time on Dirty Harry Minute. Yeah.